Okay, before we kick off today's episode, I have a cheeky favor to ask any creative who might be listening. If you love big ideas and would like to come to Sydney to work for the world's most awarded audio specialist agency, please drop me a line at ralph at eardrum.com. We're expanding and we'd love to hear from you. Now, on with Don't Judge Me. Hello, Matt. Hello. Hello. How are you? Very well, very well. Yes, it's a beautiful sunny day here in New York City, so uh, having a, a very nice time enjoying the summer. Yeah, no, I hate you right now. <laughs> I think many, many do. Many do, yeah. <laughs> you can't help but envy Matt Eastwood. Not only is he a bloody nice guy, a hugely respected creative leader, owns an incredible pad in New York, as well as a flippin' lake house. When I spoke to him, he was in the middle of several months of relaxing gardening leave over the summer. Hanging out uh, at home and relaxing. For those who don't know, Matt was the former Global Chief Creative Officer of J. Walter Thompson, or Wonderman Thompson, as they are now known. Since our chat, he's taken up the role of Global Chief Creative Officer at McCann Health. Matt lives by a pretty simple philosophy. I'm very big on hiring not just talented people, but nice people. So you have to be talented and nice. And he knows exactly what to look for when hiring tomorrow's creative stars. I have this kind of view that passion trumps talent. You have to be talented. But for me, I look more for passion. This is Don't Judge Me. I'm Ralph Van Dyke, and this is Matt Eastwood. Uh, So some of these questions will relate to what you were doing in your previous role. That probably is more relevant because when I ask you, what does your typical day look like? I don't want to hear how late you get up, how many (laughs) lovely coffees you have and what time you open your first bottle of wine. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So uh, I want you to to channel your previous role. So what did your typical day look like? uh, Well, it's interesting. It was very much um, the days were long because uh, I'd usually start at home. um, And the thing I found in a global role is that there's usually always somebody waking up somewhere who wants to talk to you desperately about something. So uh, I would often do a conference call or a phone call from home at you know six or seven in the morning, um, get that out of the way, uh, and then head to the office about quarter past uh, eight, maybe get to the office then. Um, and then uh, when I'm in, and, and, and the, my days were very different depending on where I was because often I would be uh, you know if I'm traveling I'd be in uh, you know Latin America and it would be very different I'd get up and I'd be doing a speech first thing in the morning or addressing the agency or reviewing the work etc but when I'm in New York um, it's very much about what's happening in New York um, to catching up with the new business team catching up with the various uh, creative directors in the office, etc., and sort of uh, you know seeing what's what's happening in this city, and and then I guess the, the day was sort of in, interspersed with um, overseeing global campaigns. I mean, the, I, I was very much involved in any global campaign that spanned across sort of more than one country, really. So anything that went to one, to two, three, four, or even ninety countries. Those were the campaigns that I would oversee um, and generally coordinate work across multiple offices, etc. So, you know, the day would be um, uh, having conference calls with, uh, you know, two or three different countries, catching up on the work, giving feedback, uh, asking them what I, you know, what, what to do next. Um, and then uh, I always had lunch at my desk, uh, which is, I don't know, sad in a way, but um, mm. I, it's funny, I... Um, I remember a client of mine uh, telling me, 
He said he drives to work very fast because he has a lot to do. And I feel a little bit like that about lunch. I like it, for me, it, the idea of sort of going and taking an hour off and sort of losing focus for that seems like a distraction. So I would very much just kind of sit at my desk, get lunch out of the way and move on. Um, yeah. And then, you know, I generally uh, kind of work through and leave, leave the office about 6, 6.30. Um, and then at least two or three times a week, I'd come home and I'd have a conference call with uh, a country on an opposite time zone. So, you know, generally uh, when I'm talking to China, it was like eight or nine at night, my time, which was eight or nine in the morning, their time. So I'd often catch up with, uh, you know, my creative directors over there or Australia, uh, you know, is obviously um, the time zone is very different. So come home, uh, do, a, do a sort of a late conference call, probably with a, with a dirty martini in my hand. <laughs> which, well deserved. which hopefully wasn't noticed by the person on the other end <laughs> no exactly that's when you turn the camera off yeah exactly call. yeah okay what was the worst part of your job it's funny the 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 worst part was also the best part i think um the worst part of it was all of the travel i mean there were times when i was traveling you know, four, five, six weeks at a time, and I'd just be sort of on the road, you know, particularly, um, you know, once you head to Europe or something, it doesn't make sense to fly back to New York and then fly back to Europe two days later. So you would, you know, I would sort of stay there and, and just sort of work in the various offices. And, you know, sometimes that was tough because, uh, you know, a week's travel is fun and, you know, enjoyable, but to be away from your family and friends for that long and to be on your own, to be honest, in a foreign city, you know, I, I would find myself alone in Madrid not knowing anyone and, uh, you know, it kind of get, could get a bit boring. So, uh, you know, that was probably the worst, but at the same time, it was also the best. And, you know, I got to see some amazing countries and spend a lot of time in places like India and... Paris and you know all sort of Amsterdam, all incredible places. Um, and it's funny. I think in the end, what I decided to do because of those sort of lonely times where you're kind of bored and stuck in a hotel room in a foreign city is, I over the last year I went back to school and started learning photography. And uh, I would do on oh. online classes and I learnt uh, kind of my way around a camera like I hadn't before. And so when I would find myself sort of in uh, Veve in Switzerland for the weekend or something, I would just go out and spend the days photographing, which was fantastic. So it was a really, yeah. it was a nice way to get back in touch with creativity and, and sort of give me a purpose when I'm, when I was traveling. So best and worst. Let's talk about some of the uh, qualities you look for in an up and coming creative. You're very involved in that and shaping the way some of the recruitment happened in the industry. So I'm interested to know what your what your criteria was and is. Yeah, no, it's interesting. I mean, one of the things that I've tried to do less of uh, these days and, and certainly have for the last 10 years is I've, I've tried to hire uh, outside of the traditional um, kind of schools for advertising and, and looked to other places uh, and to other uh, skills within, you know, uh, that people have learnt. Um, so I've, I, I don't necessarily look for you have to have graduated from this ad school or whatever. Um, and what I'm really looking for is, uh, you know, I've said it a lot in my career, but I have this kind of view that passion trumps talent. I think ta obviously talent is the reason that, you know, a lot of us are in this industry. You have to be talented. Uh, you can't be completely untalented. But for me, I think um, I look more for passion. Um, so somebody who 
has a passion in their life and, and often it, do, it doesn't have to be in advertising so you know if someone to, uh, was to ask me you know one of my passions at the moment is photography and I uh, write a blog about my photographs uh, which you can check out at becomingamateur.com uh, if you want to and uh, you know so I'm, so I'm really looking for people that are passionate about their life and the way they live life and the things that they go after um, and then I think you know talent uh, you can you can uh, enhance, but a passion you can't give someone. Um, and then the other thing I that is that I've learned over the years because I've made some mistakes is I, I'm very big on hiring uh, not just talented people but nice people. So you have to be talented and nice. Um, and the reason for that is I, I just this is an intense industry. We work long hours, um, and I want to spend the time working with people that I enjoy being around. I don't want to work with. Uh, prima donnas or assholes or jerks you know I, I very much want to work with people that are um, you know great fun to be with and you know I, I, it's funny people have pushed back sometimes on me on that and said well you know if you're too nice you know how do you get great work um, and for me the answer is simple you can be tough on the work but nice to the people so make it about the work be tough on the on the work but never be uh, rude or demeaning to the people so um, you know that's something I very much look for what kind of work would you like to see from the next generation of creatives? Um, I mean, I think advertising is very different today to what it was, uh, you know, 5, 10, even 15 years ago. Um, and, and I think there are so many more things that are considered advertising that I like to look for in, uh, in portfolios. So, you know, I'm, I'm looking as much for creative business solutions as I am for ads as such. And in fact, I look less for ads. I look more for, um, you know, what's, what's a great idea in terms of uh, how an app um, works or uh, what's, what's an idea for, a, for a, a TV series that you had based on a client you were working for or a piece of branded content, etc. So I'm looking, um, and, and, I, and also just, you know, creative business solutions. Uh, you know, one of the guys in, that we hired in our New York office, for instance, came with an idea of um, let's reinvent the stethoscope. Let's, let's make a stethoscope mm -hmm. for the digital age. Um, and, and for me, that's, that's the sort of stuff I'm looking for, like just great business solutions that um, kind of reinvent uh, categories or, or things that have been done one way forever. What would be your proudest piece of work? Uh, I mean, I've got a bunch of stuff that I love that uh, that I sort of, uh, you know, if anyone says, what, what have you done, I show them. But I think the one thing that I remember most and that I loved doing, uh, probably because it was kind of, it was not only a great creative piece of work, I feel, it was also really fulfilling from a personal point of view. And that was a campaign for a client called Water is Life. Um, called Hashtag Killer. Oh, yeah, yeah. The idea behind that was we were, uh, we uh, we went to, we got a whole bunch of first world problem, hashtag first world problem tweets uh, of the inane things people say, and we took them to Haiti and had them read by um, Haitians who were struggling for clean water, etc. And uh, it was amazing how sobering that was um, uh, to hear somebody with, you know, with nothing talk about, well, I hate it when McDonald's puts extra pickles in my burger when I didn't ask for it. I hate when my phone charger won't reach my bed. I hate when my leather seats aren't heated. When I go to the bathroom and I forget my phone. 
<laughs> so, uh, I mean, it, 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 it was, uh, it, it really made people think. But, you know, we were trying to encourage people to sort of just think of, of how lucky you are. And when you say something about first world problems, there's a lot of countries that don't even have access to clean water. So, um, so I love doing that. And I, and I think just from a creative point of view, it's one of my favorite things. But also, uh, you know, a, a couple of years after that campaign, we sort of reassessed where they were from a donation point of view. And I know that the donations had risen maybe 550% for um, wow. his life. So, so it's one of those ones where, uh, you know, it felt like we we're making a difference. And I remember the client actually send, sent me a photo about a year after, the sh- after we went to Haiti to film it of uh, the village we were filming in had a, a well put in of clean water because of the money we'd raised. And I'm like, my, my God, that's, that's wow. like you see it happening right then and there. So it was, it was an amazing client to work with. What would be the piece of work that haunts you to this day? Yeah, well, luckily it doesn't exist on any tapes anyway. I think I, I knew it was crap from the beginning. So, uh, But uh, I, I remember when I was younger and I was living in Perth, my art director and I, decided that we would try and write a jingle for a, um, uh, a shopping centre. And, I, you know, I'm not well, the world's most musical person and I can't sing or play an instrument, but uh, we just thought, OK, well, let, well, I wonder what it's like to write a jingle. And we did, and to be honest. The client bought it and it was just shitty and embarrassing. My parents loved it, so, you know, they thought it was fantastic, but it, it, it haunts me to this day that I even did it and it, it's out there somewhere, I'm sure. I think it's still haunting Perth. <laughs> That's why Perth drove me out of town, I think. They're like, get out! <laughs> yeah, there's a small little mall in Perth <laughs> that's been using this jingle for the last 30 years, going, why are we still doing this? And I'm going to go still back there this. one day and hear it's it over this. <laughs> if you could go back in time and give yourself one piece of advice when you were first starting out, what, what would that be? Um, I mean, I think... Uh, I generally been pretty happy. Other than don't write jingles. Yeah, yeah, don't do that. (laughs) I've been pretty happy with the career decisions I've made, but I think something that really stuck with me and and I would probably say now is is really don't sweat the small stuff and that even the bad stuff can make you a better creative person or a better leader. Um, I remember when I was 23, I got fired from the agency I was working for because they went bankrupt and uh, it had a huge impact on me and I questioned my own ability and, and I wondered whether I wanted to stay in advertising. But I think what I realised kind of years later is that actually it made, me, uh, it made me a better and more tenacious creative that that experience kind of enhanced my passion in a way. So I guess it's sort of don't sweat the small stuff that everything happens for a reason and if you love what you do, just keep doing it. And if you were starting out today, do you think you'd still want a job in advertising? I think I would. I mean, I, you know, I think the thing I love is uh, is ideas. And, and I, I think, and I've said it to many people, I think advertising is the best uh, it's ever been right now. Um, just because the, the range of creativity and solutions that you can come up with is so broad. Um, you know, I mean, I, w- I have been lucky enough to work on everything from... Uh, helping re uh, reinvent uh, a prosthetic leg 
to, you know, one of the last jobs I was working on before I left JWT was a TV series on behalf of one of our clients, you know, and it's just, um, it's amazing. And I never would have thought that when I started out, uh, you know, 30 years ago. But I think um, as someone who loves ideas, it's a great time to be in the industry because the advertising doesn't look like advertising anymore. It's so diverse and so different. And I think that's what that to me is what should be attractive to young, creatively minded people. And why should one of these young, creative persons enter Lear? And why is it valuable? Um, I mean, I think, uh, you know, I've thought it for a long time, is I think Leah has one of the best uh, juries of any award show in the world. You know, they've really made an effort to make sure they get the absolute top of the game, the, the industry leaders. You know, the jury presidents are always like, um, you know, heads of networks, etc., and big, uh, big names and, and people I've admired in the industry. And I think that if you enter and you win based on that criteria of, of, of those people, then you can be pretty proud of that win, of that, of that work. And, you know, I think I've seen it many times where a, a win at LIA, you know, can launch a career, can give you a pay rise, can get you a, a new job, etc. So, you know, it's fantastic recognition for the work, but it also, um, because I think it is such a, you know, it's a tough one to win. Um, I think that kind of bodes well for the winners. It is interesting that the, um, the you often forget that the caliber of the award show is is, uh, is down to the caliber of the judging. Yeah, absolutely. The yeah, because I mean, if you're getting an award by some of the industry luminaries and the people that you really respect, you know, that's a great endorsement of your work. And um, you know, I think it's why Lear has become one of the kind of global awards that uh, you know people really want to win. And what's your criteria in the judging room? You're, you're, you've got your jurors in front of you. You're the uh, you're the president of the jury for that particular year. So what what what's the criteria? What 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 do you pass on to your 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 fellow judges to uh, as some advice before they launch into it? I mean, I'm really looking for two th- two things. I guess uh, creativity and originality. I think I'm always encouraging people uh, when they're on a jury to really look for the things that are going to set the trends for next year you know uh, often it's tempting to say you know love a piece of work that's similar to something we've seen before but better um, whereas I, I think the, the stuff that really uh, stands stands out is the work that um, you know is surprising and different and and is going to uh, kind of set trends for the next 12 months so that originality is really really important um, and obviously creativity is why we're there. But um, the other thing that I've kind of said often to people is, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a big believer in um, the ability of advertising to kind of make the planet a better place. Um, and I love that we can do that within, you know, on behalf of our clients um, and, you know, on behalf of their brands. So I do encourage people to look for stuff that uh, kind of that potentially lifts society to a higher level um, because I think that's sort of the ultimate goal. What would be your strangest judging experience? Um, I, def- I definitely had a very weird judging experience when uh, uh, about 15 years ago I was invited to be the chairman of the jury at uh, the Advertising Awards in Africa, in Kenya. And uh, it's not one of the big global mm-hmm. shows, but I thought, actually I thought I'd love to go to Kenya, why not? That would be great. And, you know, some, yeah. some big names had done it before. So I headed out there and... Uh, 
you know, it was uh, it was interesting. We were pretty tough, you know, that we 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 didn't want to sort of just uh, placate people and just give give awards just for the sake of giving awards. We wanted to set a global standard for the industry there. Um, so we didn't give that much away. And then on the night of there was about a thousand people in the audience. It was a big deal in Kenya, mm. and. Um, as we were giving out the, the awards, I realised that the awards were actually um, gold, silver and bronze mini spears. And so, so I was standing in front of an audience of people where I hadn't really given that much, uh, that many awards away and then giving them a metal spear. And I thought, this, is, this could go horribly wrong. So, uh, death, yeah. 5,000 bronze spears. Exactly. So luckily I had to sort of run out the back door at the end, I think. If you weren't working in advertising, what would you be doing? And I think I know the answer to this. It's funny. I, I have a, um, a very definite passion uh, for interior design and architecture, and it's something that I've loved doing. And I've been in the very lucky position where I've been able to design three different houses, um, and all of them have been featured in interior design magazines. Um, so it's it's funny. It's something I love doing. Um, and I think, for me, if I wasn't working in advertising, I'd definitely be pursuing that. And, and hopefully there's even time to do it, uh, you know, during my career. So we're going to go to the quick fire round now. There are eight questions and you're allowed to pass on two of them. They're going to start gentle. They're going to build in, in awkwardness. <laughs> First one's easy. Do you keep a real or portfolio of your current work? If so, what's in it? Um, I actually don't keep a reel or a portfolio of my current work anymore. Um, and and it's, it's weird, I kind of, maybe a few jobs ago, realised that actually anyone who was going to hire me kind of knew, knew the work that I'd done anyway and what I'd achieved. So they didn't really need that kind of um, proof, so I sort of stopped keeping a reel. Not to say I don't keep a record of things, I've got some things on my but um, yeah, I don't really have a, a real or portfolio anymore, so um, which is interesting. <laughs> what would you say to your kids, your nieces, your nephews if they said, uh, Matt, I, I, I'd like to work in advertising? I mean, it's funny, I would absolutely say yes. I think uh, you know, there's definitely you know, the, the industry from a financial point of view is having a tough time, and that you know, that's fine. Be, uh, but I think from a creative point of view, it's such a fantastic industry to be in. And if you have any sort of uh, creative bone, and, and particularly if you have a sort of a, a passion for creative solutions in business, um, you know, it's a brilliant um, industry to work in. So I would tell anyone, you know, whether they were related to me or not, that yes, come and work in advertising because it's better than it's ever been. How many people have you fired? <laughs> more, more than I wanted to. Um, I mean, I've been, uh, I've probably been a creative director for 20 years now and, uh, I don't know, maybe, uh, maybe 10 people or something like that. Um, you know, it's, it's one of the worst things ever and uh, I hate doing it and I try to do it with compassion and I try to do it, uh, and leave the person feeling respected and, and help them understand the reasons why. Um, and, and sometimes it has just been based on, you know, financial decisions, not on uh, ability or anything like that. But it's, you know, it's the hideous part of the job and something I never like doing. But, uh, uh, you know, I've definitely had to do it at least 10 times. And have you had to step on anyone to get where you got to today? I mean, I don't know if I've had to step on anyone. I do, I do remember um, 
when I was uh, younger, I was about 25, 26, working at an agency, and then I ended up working with this art director who just turned out to be an awful person. And, uh, you know, three or four months into it, I realised that she was um, telling stories about me behind my back and backstabbing me to other people in the office. And, you know, it was just awful. And she just wasn't a good person. And we weren't doing great work anyway. So I actually resigned and kind of left her. Um, so I, I didn't really step on her. I stepped over her, I think, or, I, or maybe a, around her. <laughs> Um, <laughs> um, so that's probably the only time I've kind of done that. In your last role, how often were you actually um, conceiving of ideas and actually writing ads? Probably not that often. I mean, uh, it's it's interesting. I, I Many years ago, I kind of made the decision not to compete with my creative department. So I didn't want to be one of those creative directors who also worked on the brief when, when I briefed it to someone else. Um, because I'd been in situations where, you know, you're working on something and then the creative director has an idea and he or she chooses her own idea. Um, So I tend not to do that. But having said that, you know, definitely if I've got an idea that I want to pursue or a direction that I want to pursue, I'll find a way of of getting a creative team to take up that idea and make it happen. So, um, you know... um, you sort of very much got your hand and got in the middle of it all guiding the work, but not necessarily writing scripts. And I guess, you know, uh, once a month maybe or a few times a year, I, I, there are times where I've literally sat down and uh, thought, okay, I've got this idea. Um, I'm going to have to write the scripts myself because that's mm. that, that's the only way to make it come to life. Or, you know, I, I want to write the positioning myself because, that, you know, I understand exactly what I want to do. Um, but I tend not to compete with the creative people who are working for me in a very deliberate way. What's the most expensive thing you own that isn't your home or one of your homes? <laughs> um, I mean, I, I, I'm looking around the apartment. I have, uh, I've, I've a be- <laughs> I have a beautiful painting, which was actually uh, the, our, our wedding gift from all the people who came to our wedding um, and then sort of subsidised by us as well. Um, it's mm. an amazing uh, piece of sort of contemporary art by an artist called Retina. And, uh, you know, when we bought it, uh, it was, you know, probably $25,000 and, you know, certainly one of the most expensive things I've ever bought. And uh, it's probably worth double that now um, because, it, you know, that artist has become, you know, even more well-known. So uh, it, it's obviously a huge sentimental value, but uh, it's got kind of significant financial value as well. How much did you earn in your last role? I think that's going to be my first pass. Sorry, I don't don't think I could say that. (laughs) Last question. When on earth do you plan to retire and make room for one of these liaison guys? Ah, yes. Uh, um, It's funny. I've been very deliberate uh, during my kind of career about uh, when I want to retire. And I've always wanted to retire with enough time uh, to pursue something else, probably interior design and architecture for a little while before I'm too old to do anything. Um, So I've kind of always in my head planned to retire at 58, which is eight years away. Um, Certainly be ready to retire at 58. I don't necessarily have to do it, but I want to be able to be financially ready if I want to retire that I can and and go and focus on, you know, maybe uh, flipping houses or something like that. 
um, while I've still got sort of some life left in me. You know, of course, I'll say that now I'll probably be working till the day I'm 70 and, you know, uh, not moving on. But I, I, I you know, I, I've got a lot, of, a lot of other sort of creative passions that I'd love to pursue. And I, I've kind of planned my life to be able to do that if I can. Awesome. 58. Okay, so you got eight years to cram something in. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I've got to make it count. <laughs> hey, that's great, Matt. It's been really enlightening and you've answered honestly and some great insights there. Thank you very much for taking the time out and um, helping, our, helping our podcast. And, um, and we haven't judged you. In fact, we have judged you because you're, you're a nice guy. We like to judge nice people. <laughs> yes, I don't mind. Judge, judge away. And we watch with interest to see what the next gig is and... Um, Whoever, whoever it's for, they're very lucky to have you. Well, thank you so much. <laughs> and look forward to seeing you um, later in the year. Thanks, Ralph. So that was Matt Eastwood, recorded last summer. As I mentioned at the beginning, since then, he's taken on the role of Global Chief Creative Officer at McCann Health. If you like this episode, please share it around. And if you're feeling extra useful and generous, go ahead and write us a review. Next time on Don't Judge Me. I'm ageless, timeless, and I'm a Londoner, and I love what I do. And that's all that matters. Laura Gregory, CEO and founder of Great Guns. Keep an ear out for our next episode. Don't Judge Me is an eardrum production with help from Jesse Williams, Kate Wiley, Tristan Viney, Paul Taylor and David McDonald. 